three to four week series just talking about hey, why does our church exist. And uh, so if you're new and visiting, our typical routine is to preach through books of the Bible. And so we just finished Ecclesiastes and we're going to uh, settle in the Gospel of John uh, in January. But we're going to take some time to dive into some topical things. But before we do that, just setting some groundwork of hey, why do we exist? And so that's where you're finding us. Last week we talked about love God. Uh, this week we're going to talk about the connect people piece and, and why does that matter. So we're going to get to that in just a moment. Uh, a couple, uh, one quick um, just encouragement and word of celebration. So if you haven't heard yet, we're about to turn 10 as a church, which is exciting. We're going to have our 10-year anniversary um, in October, and we're going to be celebrating that on October 23rd. Um, that will be, the Sunday service will be just big, like Easter-like celebration. Super excited about, uh, about that, and we'll have stories and just, just a lot of fun, and I think cake instead of donuts. It'll be fun. So um, talked about champagne. That guy got next, but we'll, we'll, whatever. We'll see. But it's going to be fun that morning. And then that afternoon, we're going to go to Ferncliff and, and, just, uh, and just enjoy a, a day of fellowship. So plan on spending the day together with your Journey family on October 23rd. Put that on the calendar. But in order to really help us celebrate even more, we would love to hear from you. And so you should have got an email this week if you're on our email list. If you're not, uh, you can stop by the Welcome Center today and we'll get you signed up if you're not getting those, inf- those uh, communications and you'd like to. But you should have got an email that had a lot of things on there, but one of those is an invitation for you to uh, film a short video with your own phone and send it to us, just telling us, hey, why I love the journey. And so uh, it'll be a lot of fun if a bunch of you will do that. Just a quick testimony of why do I love, I love the journey because of this. And just tell us, tell us the story, tell us whatever it is. We would love to just capture some of those testimonies, put them together to show on 23rd and, and to hold on to forever as just a, a you know, a piece of commemoration to uh, to celebrate what God has done. So um, that is there. We want to encourage you to do that. It'd only be good if a bunch of you do it. And so uh, if only like three of you should send them in, we probably won't show it. So, uh, you know, don't be awkward. Everybody do it and it'll be fun. So you, we, let, we were going to set up a camera here, but we thought that would be weirder for you. So take it home, do it as many takes as you need, right? And then send us the one you like. Okay, so do that for us. It'd be great to celebrate coming up. Um, thank you, though, uh, for all of you who have, have given to our building campaign. Uh, we're getting some, some good traction with that as we're wrapping that up. We'll be closing that in the next two to three weeks. We're finalizing a closing date with the bank and probably in mid-September. So if you haven't given yet, there's still time. Uh, we would love to uh, answer any questions if you've got them. You can go to our website, journeysi.org, look at the building campaign page and know most of the details, but we're glad to talk more if you have them, or if you have questions that aren't answered on there. All right, so th- those are some big things coming up. It's exciting to be with you today. It's exciting to see a room full. It's exciting to see students back from, from summer, and so I'm excited to jump into this passage. I'm excited about the word I think God has given us this morning, um, and so let's look at Hebrews chapter 10 together. This is a, uh, the, the last couple verses are a pretty famous passage. Uh, how many of y'all have this memorized in some kind of King James language? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, right? Um, as some in their habit of doing. And, and so this is, this is a pretty famous passage around church, and it's used a lot to say, hey, don't stop coming to church, right? They, uh, it's important that you come to church. It's important that you don't, uh, you know, um, just forsake the, the gathering of the people. It matters. We saw that a ton uh, through COVID. Like, you know, online church is not really a thing. Like the, 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 like the word, you know, for church, it literally means the gathering. And, 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 you know, we went online for a season when there was a necessity to do that, and it's better than nothing. 
But man, it matters that we are together, that we are gathered together, that we lift our voices together. Man, powerful uh, just time of worship this morning. That matters. It matters to our hearts. It matters to our, our perseverance in the faith, and it matters to the proclamation of Jesus' glory. And so um, when we gather, there, there's a purpose to that. There's an intentionality to that. And we saw that throughout the pandemic when, when people weren't allowed to be around people. Even if you thought you didn't like people, there's still a cost to like being shut off from them. Some feel that more than others, but there's still a cost. And so uh, when we talk about the mission and vision of our church, we're here uh, to carry out. That's not, that's, we don't want to do our own vision and mission. Like, it's, it's not original to us. We're, we're saying, hey, Jesus has given us a, a mission and how do we see him calling us to flesh that out here in Southern Illinois and in, in our context? And so we, we summarize it by just saying, hey, we're called to love God, connect people, and transform the world. So we talked about love God last week. And, um, and this week we're going to talk about connecting people. And, and, and I want to get into the why and the how today. So I'm hoping it's, there's a lot of application. We're going we're gonna to buzz through this passage and then settle on those, those uh, last couple verses for some application and some exhortation to lean in to one another. Uh, that's where we're going, and it matters immensely because, uh, listen, here's when we, what are we here for as a church? We're here to preach the good news of Jesus to the world. And so what that means is, hey, we, we have a message of the gospel, which means good news, to tell to the world. There's a world out there who is struggling and striving to figure things out, struggling and striving to find life, to find purpose, to find justice, to find hope, to find healing. And we know that the Bible says that none of that will be found outside of Jesus Christ. That it gets fleshed out in multitude of ways once you get Jesus. But without Jesus, it's vanity, as, as Solomon has said so, so repeatedly throughout Ecclesiastes. And so we believe that humanity's greatest need is a redemptive relationship with Jesus Christ. Because of our sin, we're separated from God, the living God. And that leaves this void in us. That leaves this angst in us that cannot be filled with anything other than Jesus. And so that's the, the first and biggest priority is that people know that, that, that their biggest need is Jesus. Their biggest need is a redemptive relationship to be saved from their sins and to be reunited, restored into a relationship with God. That's their greatest need. That's all of our greatest needs. That's not like them out there need Jesus, but we're okay. No, no, it's all of us. There's, there's not like good people and bad people and we, if those bad people got Jesus, then the world would be better. No, we're all bad people. We're all on the, the, the short end of the measuring stick of holiness and righteousness. Jesus is the only one who isn't, and he's the only one who can make a way. So that's the first and greatest need. It's what we talked about last week. Man, look, would you be saved? Would you step into that great and wonderful salvation that Jesus has offered? And then uh, we believe that the next greatest need is not disconnected from that, but is a part of being an image bearer of God is actually to be in community. To, to be known and loved and to do life with one another. That, that humanity's greatest need is that we're separated from God. There's a vertical disconnect. But secondary to that is that we're also disconnected from one another. There's a horizontal disconnect. That we were made to be in community with each other, but our sin, just like it separates us from God, also separates us from one another. And that creates a, another level of longing, another level of brokenness another level of, of need that Jesus has come to meet. And so when we say connect people, this is not about being a social club. This is not about just getting people you know, to find good friendships. Like We hope that you do find good friendships, but it is something far more transcendent than that that he's called us to as his people to be connected and known by one another. And so um, that's, that's what we're getting at. That's why we remind ourselves. That's why it's a part of our, our mission, vision, tagline, and statement 
Um, and, and that's why I want to spend some time talking about, hey, what does that look like for us? What's, what's that look like for this season for us to lean into that a little bit further? So I want to look at Hebrews uh, chapter 10. And as we step into that, I want to, I want to just let um, the, the, the rest of the world remind us that this is not just a Christianity thing. This is just a humanity thing. I read a fascinating article this week uh, from the New York Times that was writing about the loneliness epidemic. It's fascinating. And, and they are not preaching the gospel, but the article is begging for the gospel. The conclusions that they're coming through by studying people and the impacts of isolation, the impact of loneliness, is just begging for a gospel answer. It's begging for the answer that we have in Jesus. I want to read you uh, just a few uh, portions from that. Uh, and, and this, he starts by, by stating that even before the pandemic which obviously exacerbated loneliness. You know, anybody that was already disconnected, like it just leveled that up. But um, even before the pandemic, our, our United States Surgeon General had said that the country is experiencing an epidemic of loneliness. It's actually, like, they labeled it as that. And, and, and he goes on to say, that, or uh, she, I'm actually not sure, our Surgeon General, I'm sorry for that ignorance, but... Um, they say, listen, this is driven by the accelerated pace of life that we are living in and the spread of technology into all of our social interactions. Okay, this is not a Christian saying this. It's just social observation from a medical, mental health standpoint saying this epidemic of loneliness is driven by the, the, the saturation of our lives with technology and into all of our social interactions. With this acceleration, he said, efficiency and convenience have edged out the time-consuming messiness of real relationships. That sounds like language we use here, doesn't it? Saying that because of the technology, because of the world we're living in, the convenience and efficiency of digital communication has edged out the messiness of, of real relationships, which takes time and effort and cost. And so um, for them, when they're saying loneliness, they're defining that as, the, uh, by mental health professionals, they're defining that as the gap between the level of connectedness that you want and what you actually have. So it's not the same as social isolation, which is codified in, in social sciences as a measure of a person's contact. So he's not saying, do you know people? That, do you have friends? Do you have, you know, Facebook friends? What, like, do you have contacts, people in your phone that you can call? Loneliness is a subjective feeling. It's People can have a lot of contact and still be lonely or be perfectly content by themselves. This is, again, this is from this article. So he, he points out the paradox that we are more connected now than ever through our phones, social media, Zoom, and such, all of these things, and yet loneliness continues to rise. And among the most affected by this is our, our, our young people, our teenagers kids that are growing up in this digital world. They've never known life without a, a device attached to their hand. There's, there's, there's literally like this lack of desire to connect and, and go hang out physically. Like I, I was talking to somebody that, like a medical, medical professional was talking about like seeing teens that are about to turn 16 and, and are you excited about having your license? And, and the increasing number of them are just like, eh. Like for me, 16 was the biggest birthday I ever had, right? Like I'm free, I can go do my own thing. And it's like, eh. Because Why? They don't need to drive to just connect here. And that's what they've like, been formed to doing. So there's a cost to all of this. We're more connected than ever, but yet we're, we're actually more lonely, more empty than ever. Another author des like, described this as like 
trying to meet, you know, your body's need for sustenance by eating fast food. Like it fills a hole. You, you feel like you did what you needed, but it doesn't have the, the, the nutrients and the sustenance to actually give your body what it needs to function. And this is what social media, this is what this interactions, uh, it's, it's a pseudo community. It's, just, it's, it's being known partially and we and we, you, we curate these images of ourselves. And, it, and there's a cost to it. That's the whole point is there's a cost to it. And our world is recognizing it. That's what I want you to know. There's our world is recognizing it beyond the church, outside of the church. And they're saying people need people. This was interesting too. Four years ago, the British government appointed a minister of loneliness. This is fascinating. To address the growing concerns among the public. They're seeing this as a need, and they said, we need somebody to lead the charge to figure out how people cannot be lonely anymore. Fundamental human needs. We've got to legislate this out, figure out how to do this. And, and I don't mean to, to mock this, but some of the things they came up with was uh, a town set up a, a happy-to-chat bench with a sign reading, sit here if you don't mind someone stopping to say hello. And that, it wasn't just that town. It spread all over at different places in Europe, according to this article, at least. And so the world is longing for an answer. The gospel gives us that answer. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. We are sitting on the answer that our world needs to know. So let's jump in. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 starts out with a reminder, really, of what we looked at last week. And in just a moment, we're going we're gonna to go, we're going to do communion together as we walk through this passage. We're going to let it shape our, our view of one another. So if you haven't got your elements yet, you're welcome to, to grab and do that. But we're, we're going to walk through this together as the passage walks us through the gospel uh, narrative, the gospel truth. We're going we're gonna to let that uh, be transformative. So it, it, he's saying a, a reminder from, from the love God part last week, and then we'll get into the connect people. But he's saying, therefore, brothers, since... We have confidence to enter in the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he's opened for us through the curtain, that is, his, through his flesh, since we have the great high priest over the house of God. So he's setting all of this up. He's going to get to an imperative in a minute, what we should do. But he's saying that imperative is, is formed and motivated and fueled and sustained by an indicative, by something that is true. He's telling us what is true. Because of this, you should do this. So we can't just talk about community as something that is good and right to do as a buzzword in the churches and just put that as our end-all, be-all. As long as we got people connecting with people, we're good. No, there's a, there's a greater, there's a, there's a foundational like, emphasis for this that drives us into community. And he's saying it is this. It is the, is the good news of Jesus. Since we have this confidence, since we have been so transformed, since we have been so loved by Jesus, this is what he's setting up. Then let us draw near with a true heart to, to Jesus, right? This is, this is to God first in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Then let us hold fast to our confession. And we can't do that alone. So he says, do it with one another. Stir one another up. That's where we're going to land here in just a moment. But this is what he's saying. He's talking to the Hebrew people. He's talking to people that were, were Jewish people, and, and they were familiar with having a people. They were familiar with being with one another. They were familiar with having an identity that was communal. They were the Jews. They were circumcised. They were God's people. They, 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 they had God's promises, right? And they were formed, if you remember back to Mount Sinai, when, when God give, gave them the, the, the Ten Commandments, he was saying, uh, I, 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 I brought you out of Egypt, to make you into a people. You'll be my people, I'll be your God. 
We're going we're gonna to be a people together. So they're, they're, they're bound by this identity of, 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 of a marking, right? Circumcision sets them apart, identifies them as such. But, but beyond that, the circumcision is really just marking, a, a physical marking of an inward truth or of a reality that they have been set apart by, by God's salvation over their life. That they shared this common origin of, as a people of being rescued out of the arms of the most powerful nation in the world, Egypt. God said, no, no, I'm more powerful than you. He knocked Pharaoh down. He destroyed his army and he got his people out. And those people are galvanized into a community now because they've gone through that together. If you've gone through something traumatic with a group of people, whether you knew them well or not, on the other side of that trauma, you feel like this, don't you? Even if you've never met them, if, if you've gone through a hard thing, if you've gone on a mission trip, this sort of condensed like trauma in our life or intensity, you're, you're bonded by that. These people were bonded by, by God bringing them out of Egypt, right? And then he marked them through circumcision. So, so this, the writer of Hebrews is, is saying, okay, that is getting leveled up for us. Like, the people you've always known that we're bound by this, Jesus is the new and greater Moses. Jesus has brought us into the new Exodus. Jesus is the new and greater deliverer. And so, yes, our ancestors were brought out of Egypt through God's mighty hand, but you have been brought out of your sin, out of your slavery, out of your addiction, out of your, out of your gossip, out of your, your cutting other people down, out of your fear, out of your guilt, out of your shame, the things that have been done to you. You've been brought out of that by Jesus. And you're set apart, and we're formed as a people through that. And in our marking that we take instead of circumcision is baptism, that we stand up before a group of people and say, I belong to Jesus. Jesus has saved me, and I want the world to know that I am his, and he is mine, and, and we're together forever. So we are formed likewise. And Jesus gives us this meal of communion to remind us of these incredible truths, lest we forget, lest we begin to think that we're here on our own merit he tells us, when you gather, take this meal and remind yourselves, and remind one another of the salvation that I've purchased for you. So Paul, or the writer of Hebrews says, we've, since we have this confidence to enter the holy places, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, the holy places where God himself dwelt. And nobody could go there except the high priest. But the people would gather together for worship. And the high priest would go in on their behalf through an incredible process of a cleansing and ritual so that he didn't die. And then he would offer atonement and sacrifice for the people's sins. So only he, at the appointed time through the appropriate process, could go into the Holy of Holies. He's saying something radical here. He's saying since we have the confidence to go into the holy places. What? Like he's saying, we as a people can now go into the presence of God. Nobody could do that before except the high priest through this process. He's saying, now, we have this confidence. And how do we get it? By the blood of Jesus. That Jesus went into the Holy of Holies, and, and instead of taking the blood of animals, the blood of, of bulls and, and to make atonement, he shed his own blood for us in our place so that the, the wrath of God would be appeased. And we can now enter in by the new and living way. Verse 20. You see, before the way was, was made through dead animals and their blood, and it had to be repeated. He's saying now we have a new and living way, a way that will never have to be repeated, a, never, a way they'll never have to cleanse themselves. Like Jesus has made the way, and he opened for us through the curtain. This is one of my favorite parts of Scripture, favorite realities and visual imagery that, that, that holy of holies was separated by this curtain. 
And it's familiar imagery for the, for the Jewish people. And when Jesus breathed his last on the cross, the world, like it was dark already and the, and the earth began to shake and that curtain was torn. Why does she not listen to me when I want her to listen to me? My wife jokes, I'm yelling, hey Siri, at my watch and she never listens. And here I am. I didn't say Siri. Y'all are my witnesses. But she thinks she needs to be involved. I'm going to stop wearing the watch. I'm sorry that's distracting. But, but when Jesus breathes his last on the cross, the world shakes, it begins to crumble, and that curtain is torn. It's torn in two, signifying access. And it's torn in two, not from the bottom, not from some guy goes, oh, yeah, yeah, it's time. And he goes and gets his scissors. No, no, from the top down. God's saying, okay, the way has been made. My people can come to me on their own. There's no longer a need for a priest to, to run interference, to, run, to be a, an intercessor. You know, my people can come to my throne through Jesus and his blood. This is the good news of the gospel. And since we have, okay, and he did that through his flesh. And Jesus told us to take the bread and remember his body broken. So take that bread this morning. And I want you to reflect on the reality that be, through Jesus' flesh, that curtain no longer stands before you and a holy God. That if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that the barrier, that the, the separation is no longer there because Jesus paid the price and he took care of it and we can enter into the Holy of Holies. Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. he goes on to say, since we have such a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 19 uh, says that, <clears throat> that we are brought into holy places by the blood of Jesus. Again, they were familiar with having to sacrifice animals. Blood was required for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus says, this is the blood in which you now hope. This is the blood of the new covenant. Drink and remember me. Now look around. Actually, look around. It's okay. I said so. It won't be weird. Pastor told you to. We're a people. You're like, I don't know these people. Exactly. These aren't people that you might, you might not hang out with them socially. You might not share the same preferences, the same social likes, the you know, recreational likes. You might not do any of that with each other. But because of this, because of this meal we just shared, because of the hope that is anchored in Jesus Christ, we are a people. Just like the Israelites were a people because they were brought out of Egypt. They were formed in that salvation. They were marked by circumcision. We are a people who've been brought out of our sin, marked by baptism, and we are set apart. We are a people. We, we are God's people, and he is our God. So he's saying this is what is rooting down our community. Community not for the sake of community, not because it's cool, not because we can. No, because Jesus has made us into a people. So he says, this is who we are. Like, we, we have, like, this together, like, if you have shared experiences with people, you feel bonded to them. Now, a lot of you are Cardinals fans, so you probably don't feel this because it's just the right thing to do, and you just, 
you, you see another Cardinals fan, you don't, you're not compelled to reach out to them because everybody's a Cardinals fan. But those of you who are super brave and you like the Cubs, I'm guessing that when you see somebody else with Cubs attire on, you feel a little bonded to them. You're like, hey, hey, you're dumb too. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's not what I meant. It's not what I meant. I'm just, I feel like, you're like, hey, we can, we can connect on this. We're bonded by this, right? Like, I'm, I'm a North Carolina basketball fan. There's not a ton of those around here. So when I, like, I'm, I freaked my neighbor's wife out because she came outside in a Carolina hoodie one day. I was like, oh, you're a Tar Heels fan? She was like, what? And I was like, your shirt? She's like, oh, this is my husband's. I don't know. I was like, tell him I think he's cool. You know, like, we're bonded, right? Because we're, we're, we're fan, like, we're in this together. So, so we have been established as a people. You, you, you can, you see people, you know, out and about. Like, we, you know you have this bond. You may not know anything about, else about them. You've never, never had a conversation with them. But these walls are brought down because, oh, you're one of Jesus's. You're one of Jesus's, and we're a people. So he says, like, let us draw near with, with full assurance because our hearts have been sprinkled clean. We've been made pure. It's awesome. Verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for the one who promised is faithful. Okay, so once we are saved, once we're a part of the people of God, that's justification, and that's glorious. It can never be removed. And that means whenever you stand before a holy God, your name, your soul is now justified because of Jesus. And nothing you can ever do will change that. Once you're in with him, like you, that won't be taken from you. But Paul says our salvation is living and active, that it keeps, it keeps going. What does that mean? It, well, it means that once we're justified, we continue in salvation by being sanctified. That, that, that word sanctified means basically becoming more like Jesus. And that you're like, okay, that makes sense. But when you dig a little bit deeper, it means that sin's power is losing, or sin is losing its power over you, okay? So the penalty for your sin has already been paid if you're in Jesus. But you know that there's still a struggle. You know that there's still a, a fight. There's still, you have to grow in it. Like it, it doesn't just, you know, you, you don't just never sin again. There's this struggle and there's this, this process. It's called sanctification. So we are beings, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. If you're in Jesus, but we are actively being saved from the power of sin. That means that as we live our life, we, we run toward Jesus, we do it, and then what he's going to say is we do it with one another. We are saved increasingly from the power of sin in our life, that, that it, we grow more like Jesus, less like our old self, and, and the power of sin fades gradually. It's a long and slow and hard process. That's what we're called to until Jesus comes back. And then one day when he calls us home or comes back here, we, would, we will be saved from the presence of sin, okay? So we have been saved from the penalty. We are being saved from the, from the power presently. And one day we will be saved from the presence altogether, presence of sin. It's, it's awesome, all-encompassing salvation. And so in the moment, he says, okay, now that you're one of Jesus' people, you've you got a fight ahead of you. And you're going to have to persevere. And you're going to have to hold fast. Hold fast. And you can hold fast because the one who made the promises is faithful, so now, now we're these people, not only do we have this bond, like, you know, the sports team thing, it's one thing when, it, you know, it's one thing to be a Cubs fan for a Cubs fan, but when the Cubs make the playoff, you're like, we gotta, we gotta do this thing, right? Like, now we're rallying together, more people pull their hats out of the closet because they're not ashamed, right? And, and you're like, okay, we, we're doing this thing together, right? We're, we're, I remember being in St. Louis, we lived up there for a couple years, and we lived up there for the 2011 World Series run, and it was amazing because they weren't supposed to make the playoffs. And then they just rallied back, and it was awesome, man. The whole city shut down. I worked at Home Depot, and we still stayed open until 10. It was like, nobody's in here. Just the employees, and we're, we're listening and watching the game. Like, St. Louis is shut down for this. It was awesome. It was just this collective 
Like, we're doing this thing together. So we're as a people, we're, we're named, we're marked, but now we're sent out on a mission. we got work to do. And we do it together. And, and this is like, okay, now we're not just saved and set on a shelf and wait until we die. We're saved and sent out. There's work to do. We're, our eyes have been opened to the powers of darkness. Our eyes have been opened to the needs of the world. And we are sent out with the good news to do something about it. So this begins to galvanize our community even more. Because community, for the sake of it, is not really community, but community with a purpose. Community with a mission. That gets unpenetrable. That gets down to the heart of what we need. And so he says, that because of this, hold fast without wavering in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as in the habit of son, but uh, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what he's saying is, yeah, it's awesome that you are saved, but don't think that you just get to sit on the sideline and feel good about that, and then you know, hope everybody else does okay. He says, no, no, get in there and, and begin to do an intentional work of stirring one another up to love and good works. And then he says, don't stop meeting together. It matters that you show up. And it doesn't just matter for you. Some of you think that your attendance in church or in group is just about you. You're like, well, I'm not going to go. Like, I'm not really getting anything out of it. Or, you know, they'll be okay without me today. But the reality is your attendance matters not only to you and your soul, but it matters to the people around you. It matters to the people who group in you. Like, we are called to be here for one another. And so he's saying, don't stop meeting together. That would be detrimental to what you're doing. It would be detrimental to who you are as a people. That at the foundational level as a people, part of being restored to God is to be restored to one another. That we were made in the image of a triune God. That's why, that's why the New York Times author is hitting on this issue of people are longing for connection. And, and he would say, because we've evolved to find safety in numbers. And I'm like, no, 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 bro. It's because we were made by a God who has numbers. We were made by a God who is Trinitarian. A God who is in relationship from beginning of time, and he has made us in his image. That's why we feel safer with people. That's why we're drawn to want to be with others and be known by others. That, that's, that's the issue. Nice try. Like, I get why you got there, but this is, this is the truth. Like, we're, we're made for that, and that's why we long for that. So, showing up matters. But do we just show up? What, what does it mean? Do we just show up or, or is there more to it? Let's look at verse 23 very carefully. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For the one who's promised is faithful. Sorry, let's go to 24. And let us consider now how to stir up one another to love and good works. Okay, so you, like you're probably not surprised that that's part of my job. Right? That's what me and Chad, like that's what we do. Like, okay, the pastor is supposed to, you know, you should be thinking about how our church can be a better church. We can get more people, whatever. But he's not talking to pastors. He's talking to a group of people. He, did you hear the plurality in the language? Did you hear the identity of, of, of us in here? Let's look back through. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters. Okay, there's plurality there. He's talking to a church. He, he says, since we have a great high priest, let us draw near with a true heart. And our bodies, let us hold fast, verse 23, to confession of our hope, right? It's all plural pronouns. For, those who, for, the, for he who promised is faithful, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not to meet, not, don't neglect meeting together, but encouraging one another, right? This, this, is, this is not accidental. 
We are made to be a people. This is the fulfillment of the prophecies that God had said. Like all throughout the Old Testament, God had been saying, hey, I made you a people. You've messed it up repeatedly. But one day I'm going to send somebody who's going to set you free for once and for all. And I'm going to take out your heart of stone. I'm going to put in a heart of flesh. And I'm going to make you into a people of, of, of royal lineage. I'm going to make you into a nation of royal priests. I'm going to set you apart in, in, in the in the midst of the world and say, these are my people. And no longer be about Israel and, and Hebrew ethnicity. It's going to be about your heart condition, your heart status before God. Your, the circumcision of your heart. Have you been saved? Are you sent out by him? Are you set apart by him? This is the fulfillment of that. He's saying, I've always intended to be making myself a people. Always. He's saying, it's looking different than what you all thought. It's not about the, the Jewish nation anymore. It's about the church. So, this, he says, let us, all of our people, all of you, consider. That means, that means be intentional. It means think about, make a plan. Like, not just haphazardly, not just showing up and, and hoping that somebody loves you well or hoping that the sermon's good or hoping that your group is, you know, not too draining that night. No, no. You should be intentional about how... Should you be stirring up other people to what? To love and to good works. That this is how church works together. It, it's not about hiring the right people and appointing the right people and hope that they do the right mission and they do the right ministry. Our job as, as pastors and staff members and, and leaders uh, of the church is actually to equip you all to do the work of the ministry. Did you know that? It, that our role is actually to set you up so that you can do the work. Because you see, if you're all waiting on me or even Chad or even the, the other three elders or the, the staff, if you're all waiting on us to stir you up to do good works, it, like, this is all you get. Me talking at a group. But what's really effective, when you, you show up in a room and you're no longer in lines looking in one direction, you're in a circle looking in toward one another and you're sharing meals with one another and you're knowing one another and, and now you could speak directly into one another's lives and the one another's run rampant throughout the new testament that it's less about finding a good pastor to be charismatic and grow a church but it's more about the, the people of god being the people of god and loving on one another carry one another's burdens speak truth to one another confess your sins to one another don't let you know, don't let one another stumble. Don't let one another fall. Do life together. Carry the burdens. Do, grieve together. Like, this is the picture of the church that we see in the New Testament. And this is what we should strive for. So, what does that look like? What are the works that we should be stirring one another up to? Well, here, here's how it, we try to make it look here at the journey. We do this thing called community groups. Uh, just real quick, if you're a part of a community group, would you just throw your hand up real quick? If you're a part of a community group here, cool. So if you're not, we don't mean to shame you. I want you to say that you can look at any of those folks and ask them what a group is about. Ask them what group they go to, and they will help you get connected. They, they, they see value in showing up at group each week, every other week, whatever their group rhythm is, and, and they can help you see, hey, this, this, is what, this is what this is about. We have a large percentage of our, of our folks that attend here on Sunday that, that are a part of group. Why? Because we believe that's where the, the primary life-sharing 
burden carrying, even discipleship actually is going to play out there in these small groups. So maybe you've never been to one. Like, and that's a fair question. I had one guy like, what do you do? You do like Bible trivia? Like, well, I don't understand. And I'm like, no, I mean, they might, but probably not. It's, it's, you know, most groups are going to show up. Like, it's, it's a people to belong to. It, it becomes a, a family to belong to. You're going to break bread together. You're going to eat meals together pretty regularly. You're going to share your burdens with one another. And you are going to get your nose in Scripture and try to learn together and press the, the words of, of, of truth from just hearing down into actually applying into your life. That's the goal. It's like, we're going to do this together. We're people to belong to. This, these are the people that show up whenever you're sick or when someone dies and they show up and they mow your yard. These are the people that show up and bring you meals. These are the people that just show up and weep with you. These are the people that, that notice when you're not here on Sunday and they call you and text you and ask if you're okay. And it doesn't take three or four weeks for a staff member to catch it because they know you. They be, like, we're, we're, we belong. Hey, I didn't see you. Where are you? Are you okay? Hey, I miss you. I love you. Like, this is... We, this is, this is why we do community groups. And so what is that work that we're supposed to stir one another up to? Well, listen, as I said, we're growing in our salvation. We're supposed to be a people who are, who are confessing sins to one another. First John says, listen, if we pretend we don't have any sin, you're a liar. So those of you just come to group and put on your happy face and act like everything's okay, John calls you a liar. We just come in understanding we're all broken people. So we have to be fearful of sharing our brokenness. He says, confess your sins to one another. And guess what? Not only will you be forgiven, you'll be healed. This is the promise of the scriptures. Confess your sins to one another and to God. Like that's almost an assumed thing. Be confessing your sins to God, but confessing to one another. And, and through that, you'll be healed. Like there is, there's, there's power in, in, in bearing our burdens together. Part of why Jesus says, come to me, those of you who are weary and, and heavy burden, I'll give you rest. It's, it, it is about you and Jesus, but part of the way that he gives you rest is he gives you a people to come up under that yoke with you. You understand what I'm saying? That part of the way that he gives you rest is giving you a people that come up and yoke that with you and go, okay, we got this together. That was about to crush you, but we got you. We got you. We're going to do this together. This is how he begins to lead us into further um, joy in life is by doing life together so we confess our sins. And then beyond that, we kill our sins. There's a difference between confession and mortification. Mortification is we're saying, as we saw in the Beatitudes, is we don't just like know that we're struggling with this sin and kind of tolerate it and hope it doesn't get us and then confess when we do. We go after that thing. We say, I know I'm inclined to this. I know I'm inclined to lust. I know I'm inclined to gossip and I'm going to kill that together. We're going to bring that in the light. We're going to drag it out and get my friends. We're all going to bring our weapons and destroy that thing together. Like that's the idea of mortifying our sin is we say, hey, I know this is part of me and I don't want it to be any part of me. Let's kill it together. So that's the work of, 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 of you know, stirring one another up Growing in the, word, in the knowledge of the word, right? We want to stir one another to, to read the Bible, to study, to know more about God's word, and then to apply God's word. There's one thing to hear it and to know it, but then when you get in life together and you're like, hey, did you hear Sunday's sermon or did you hear what we're reading? I'm not seeing that in your life. Can we talk about that? I love you. Can we talk about that? And that only works when you know one another. Because if you do that to somebody you just met today or you don't know at all, that's not going to go well, is it? 
So he's clearly talking about something beyond just the Sunday morning gathering. How that looks, whether it's Sunday school groups, whatever, I don't think that matters. He's talking about living life together in some smaller group that, where people know you. That's what he's talking about. So it takes a smaller proximity and closeness to one another. And then, hey, are we, are we leading each other to grow in our compassion for those in need? Are we leading each other to grow in our action for those in need? This is the love and good works that, that he's saying we should stir one another up to. Obviously, we should make sure people are coming to church. We should make sure people are, are loving their families well. This is what we do. But then, like, are we pushing one another out on mission to trust Jesus? And, and, and this matters because just being known won't actually fill the need in your heart. The article that I referenced earlier goes on to actually say this. He says, for years, that the best thing, they, people have thought the best thing you can do for a lonely person is give them support. Actually, we found it's about receiving and also giving back. So the best thing you can do for someone who's lonely is not to give them help, but to ask them for help. You see what they're flipping there? The best thing to do for somebody who's lonely is not just to go and surround them and give them support, but actually to ask them to help you with something, to ask them to, to let, you know, that you ask them to actually speak in, step in, and meet some other needs. So, so you, you give this sense of worth and a chance to be altruistic and, and give back and have a, a purpose beyond ourselves. So this is their quotes. Even if we're getting the best care, we could still feel lonely if we can't give something back. The care is extremely valuable, but it's not enough. This is what they're, again, they're just begging for the gospel answer. Because Jesus knows we didn't just need his love and forgiveness. We needed his purpose. We needed his mission. We needed something to do. We needed something beyond ourselves to give ourselves to. And the gospel gives us that because there's a world out there that is still broken, still hurting, and needs the good news of Jesus. So we all need people, right? Like that's a human need. But those of us that are following Jesus, those of us that are surrendered our life to follow Jesus in radical and, and you know, ways that don't make sense to the world, that levels up that need for community even greater. When we're on mission with Jesus, he's going to call us to give up our lives, to give up our comfort, to give up ourselves in ways that will be draining, that will be exhausting, that will be exposing. And if we don't have people that have our back that are doing that with us, it will take us out. We call it burnout. We call it, you know, a ton of different things. But the reality is if we're living our life on mission for Jesus, we have to have people that are caring for us. Otherwise, it will not go well. So think about it this way. The people who have said yes to take the gospel to the nations, to take the gospel to places where Jesus' name is not known, to pack up their families and go and live overseas, away from their comfort and into hard places, to proclaim the good news of Jesus to those who haven't heard. Those people need us. They don't need us to look at them and say, well, I mean, it was their choice. It must be hard, but I mean, they chose it, so they must have knew what they were doing. I mean, I could have told you it'd be hard. That's why I didn't go. And you chuckle. But I've heard stuff like that from people. Like, well, I mean, they knew what they were doing, didn't they? When they went to the Amazon or when they went to Iraq or what? It's not my problem. Like, like that kind of sentiment is not uncommon in the church. But what they really need for us is, is the people to say is, no, no, no. Hey, we got you. 
We see you and we got you. This wasn't just your choice. This was our calling, right? Because the, 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 the mandate, the calling, the mission to reach the nations is not just those missionaries' job. It's the church's job. It's our job. And they have been given the specific role to take it and go. Whereas John, as John Piper says, to go over the edge, right? But we, those that are staying, we've been given the job to hold the stinking rope for them, to make sure they don't die, to make sure they don't die from like, you know, just being crushed by the loneliness in the mission. They may die by the enemy's hand, and that's, they're, they're good. They're better off for that. But we want to make sure that the, the everyday things of life, the hard things about just doing marriage overseas, the hard things about raising kids overseas, the hard things about just like, you know, being social overseas, we want to make sure those things don't crush them. And we do that by coming alongside them. They don't need us to look at them and go, well, I mean, bless their hearts. No, no, they need us to come alongside and to love them the way that we would want to be loved. This is what Jesus called us to, right? Love your neighbor the way you want to be loved. You think about, man, if I were them, what would I want? Would I want to have to ask somebody to come visit? Would I want to have to ask somebody to care for us? No, you'd want somebody to show up. You'd want somebody to just say, we got you, right? The people caring for aging parents in our midst, the people that are just pouring out into these relationships that can no longer give back to them. You've seen them. You've been those people. They don't need us to just say, well, you know, good job. They, they need people who, who, who walk along with them and say, yeah, we got you. Like, they're, they're your parents, but this is your burden, and your burden is our burden, and we got you. We got you. We're going to come alongside you. The people who feel called to, to say yes and to start a ministry or a nonprofit that, that gives back to others or pushes back the darkness in the world. And maybe they say saying yes to that means saying no to a good income. They don't need us to just pat them on the back and say, good job. They need us to come alongside and meet their needs and buy them a car, like whatever it is. Like we have means, we, we, we meet it because that's what, that's what they need. And if we were them, that's what we'd want. We wouldn't want to have to wait until we were about to break mentally, emotionally, to, to have to reach out for help. We want people that would see our needs and reach out to us. The, the single mom, the single dad who's just trying to keep it together. That's giving 200 plus percent because they've lost their partner for whatever reason. They, they are the, these are the people that, like, they're doing all of the things that most of us are used to doing with a spouse, with a partner. They get all of the middle of the night cries. They get all of the early mornings. They get all of the meals. They get all of the, the school events. They get all of the running and dropping off. They don't need us to just admire from afar. They need us to come alongside and yoke ourselves with them. Y'all know what I mean? I'm realizing like I'm doing this goofy thing, and you're like, what's, it, what's he doing? He got a twitch? Y'all know what a yoke is. It's something that's laid over an oxen. They, they, they pull a burden. They pull a load then, right? It's laid over their neck. I'm saying we all have that. And what it means to be in community is we go, no, no, no. We're not doing this together. I got you yoke with you. You got my, like, we, we, we come up under that with one another. This is what these people that are, that are doing these admirable things, this is what they need from us, right? The family that, that says yes to foster care. It says yes to caring for birth families, yes to all the appointments for the court dates and the visits and the, the sibling visits and the therapies and yes to the fear of the unknown and knowing that they may pour into this kiddo and that kiddo may be pulled right back out of their house whenever the judge decides that it's time, whether they're ready or not, whether that, that, you know, going home is a good thing or not. These are people who have said yes to these things, but those foster families, they, they've said yes to any, anyway because these kids need them. Right? Those families, they don't need 
Like, they don't need us to just sit back and admire them and, and, and talk about them and, 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 you know, talk about how, you know, how wild those kids are and, and bless their hearts and what No, no. No, no. They need you to see them. See them. Instead of asking, who's, who's got your kids? Maybe you say, do you need me to take your kids? You look tired. Maybe don't say that to the women. That might not go well. But you say, I see you. And I know that you said yes to those kids, but those kids weren't just your responsibility. Jesus said, those are my kids. And my people should show up for my kids. So I can't take them into my home. Maybe that's you, but you could say, you did, and I got you. How can I love on you? This is what people need. People that have adopted from overseas. They've said yes to a kiddo that doesn't know the language, that wasn't raised with them, that might have food insecurities, that might have just behavior. Not might. They will have behaviors. They don't need the rest of us to just watch and shake our heads and pat them on the back. They need us to lean in with them. Don't make them ask for your help. Say, I got you. Has anybody given you a date night? No? Can I do that? I got you. Can I just send you all a meal? Can I have you over at our house? I got you. Like, this is what we need. Like, when we're called into these sorts of missions, these sorts of places, they, we need to see one another and think, how would I want to be loved in that situation? Okay, I'm going to step in. You see, the enemy has done a really good job at driving wedges in and saying, because here's the deal. Most of you probably haven't not done those things because you don't care. Most of you have probably chose to not do those things because you think it's not your place or you think they don't really need you or you think they got this or whatever. I'm telling you, we should be a people who look beyond that to lean in, to care, to ask, how are you? actually listen, want to know, lean in and care, lean in, carry the burdens, right? Understand that when a, kid, when a family brings a kid home from another nation, that the, the story's not over. It's not just high fives here. They're not just home. And it's not just a blessing that that kiddo has them. I understand why we say those things, but those, those things are, are ignoring the hardships that these families are still going through. These families that uh, said yes to adopt from overseas, you understand that they said yes to change their family dynamic forever, Forever. They got a kid with a different color of skin in their home. They got a kid from a different background in their home. They got a kid who's younger than their bio kids oftentimes. And they have said, I'll step back into time. I'll start doing diapers again. I'll start doing pre-K and kindergarten again. Why? Because this kid matters. This kid belongs to Jesus. And Jesus says, those kids are my kids and my kids be cared for by my church. And so as we see people caring for them, we come alongside them. This is what we must do. This is the type of, of work that we do with one another. It goes well beyond that. When we're just going through hard things, when kids that are grown kids are, are breaking our hearts, we need people to wrap around us, to not ask if we're doing okay, but to, to come and just sit with us and to weep and, and to, to lean in. We need this sort of love for one another. Whatever we're called to, however Jesus leads us into the darkness, we need people to hold the rope for us. Collectively, this like you're going to do this for people, and people are going to do this for you. So, what does it look like 
for you to do that. Because he says, you should consider how do you do that. So but I want you to do that. I want you to consider how do you do that. Not us. Like, how, well, the church, what if the church did this? No, no. Today, this is you. How do you do that? Okay? How do you? I want you to consider how do you stir up people to good works. Some of you, you got to start at the obvious place. You're not in group. You're not in community. You don't know anybody. That's where you got to start. What it looks like for you to stir people up is to get in group. Right? And, and I get it. Maybe you're scared. There's legit fears. There's legit anxieties. I don't mean to make light of those things, but here's what I would ask you to do. Would you, would you hold up those fears? Would you hold up the, those, those things, those, those reasons that you've given? Would you hold them up and, and compare them to the grace of Jesus? And then would you ask him for the faith to go forward? As your good father, would you, would you give him permission to lead you forward and to take the next steps? It might mean just showing up to a group and not talking for a while. That's okay. Or would you just take the steps toward that? If you are in a group, what's your posture toward it? What's your posture toward community group? Are you, do you just come waiting to see if the leaders put together something good, right? And you're going to participate just passively, right? Do you come because it's what you're supposed to do? Do you see... Like, do you come to see what others will do for you? Or do you view your presence and or your absence as something that not only affects you, but it affects others? That you're not just there to consume, you're there to give, you're there to stir, you're there to love. If you're in a group, what is the dynamic of that group? What's your posture toward it, but also what's the dynamic of it? Are you stirring one another to good works? Works of confession? Are you doing that? Is that that sort of stuff? Confessing sins, mortifying, you know, sin. Is that sort of stuff happening? Sin killing? Better, are you calling each other to bear, better marriages? Or is it just kind of a social hour thing? Right? Are we gossiping and, and just calling it prayer request? Are we leaning in? Are we stirring one another? Or, or are we avoiding hard things because, you know, we don't want to go there. So we, we fill the time with jokes and surface level stuff. I had this teacher in high school that we knew it, every once in a while, at least once a week, we could bring up current topics and get her to spend the whole hour talking about that instead of doing our schoolwork. It was awesome. It was fun. It was super. We don't want to do the work, so we get her distracted. We don't have to do the work. Some of you come in a group that way. You don't want to do the work. Maybe you're exposed because you didn't do the work. You're supposed to read something in order to contribute meaningfully, and you didn't do that. Or maybe you don't want to talk about your junk, so you, you just fill it. Or you'll let other people fill it with stuff that doesn't matter instead of saying, hey, I'm about to die here. Like, please don't let it be so that you come to group, that you, that you, that you do life with one another, and you suffer to the point of considering taking your life or leaving your spouse or leaving the faith without ever speaking up. Like, all we can do is all we can do. We can't read your mind. Now, you need to ask the question, is this a safe place? Am I creating a safe place for somebody to say that if they needed to say that? But if you're there and you need to say that, man, don't make us read your mind. Say it. And man, if you're being led to speak up and share your heart, the reality is other people long for that too. You would just give them permission. I've, I've been in some group situations where some really hard and honest things got shared and nobody left there talking about how weird that was. Everybody left there realizing we'd been in a holy moment and we all needed that kind of exposure. And it stirred other people up to the same sort of confession, to the same sort of pursuit of Jesus. So speak up. 
Is your group a place where new people would be welcome? It's a hard dynamic, because if you're gonna have the kind of trust that you can speak up, new people kind of mess that up. Are you doing the work, though, to make sure that there's, there's space for new people to be welcome? So let's take this passage to heart. Let's not forsake meeting together, church. It's a new season. It's, we're coming into fall. Groups are firing back up. Let's make it intentional uh, to, to make sure that our role to stirring others up toward, toward God and his good, that, that we're living that out, right? Let's give ourselves over to encouraging one another. Let's build here at The Journey an irresistible community that the, the lonely world will look in and say, man, I want some of that. How are they so hopeful? How are they still firm in the midst of chaos? How are they getting healed from hard things? Jesus has made a way. We are one in him. We're united in him. Let's lean into that. Let's live that out. Jesus, we come grateful for your work and overwhelmed by your gift of community, but also by the challenges that come to living it out. So I ask that you would come by your spirit and just invade our hearts, invade our space, and lead us to life in you. Lead us to fulfill this verse, to not blow off meeting together, but to lean in and to, to stir one another up to love and to good works and, and to encourage one another toward the end. And all the more as we see the day drawing near where you're coming, that just ignites our fire to keep at this good work, to share our souls, to bear one another's burdens. So come, Jesus, be big, be, be savior in this place. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, guys, the altar's open. Come, pray. Maybe you need to go to somebody and confess something. Maybe, maybe you need to ask for prayer from somebody. Chad will be over here. I'll be over there. But you know what? No, let's go all in. Community group leaders, come back up. Let's do it. We did it last week. If we're going to change the culture where people are actually receiving prayer, it's up to y'all to be awkward, and we're going to have you come stand up here. So if you need to be prayed with, there's folks that would love to pray with you. So they're going to come forward. You can come forward and receive prayer. If you want to pray by yourself, the altar's open. Let's stand and sing.